then my original hard drive crashed. Oh. And so I was like, well, I'll just live off the new one. And right. I keep finding, like, oh, I'm, I used to have all of Tom Waits' albums. Now <laughs> oh, I have shit. four. Oh, you know? God. <laughs> oh, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had that pro. That's why, like, I invested heavily in these two. These are mirrored hard drives, and they're each, like, three terabytes a piece. Yeah. So one dies, I'll still have everything on the other one. So at the very least... Yeah. And now I don't have to worry about it. I feel like iTunes does it on purpose now. I know, like, I know. Like, Seriously. they'll just, like... Because I've noticed, like, sometimes it's not a whole album that's missing, just yeah. two or three songs. Yeah, it's very odd. And it's like, we just kind of want you to buy those songs again. <laughs> right, right, they're very popular. You know, they're... <laughs> You know, or it's just enough to make it where you couldn't make a CD. Yeah, yeah, like, 100%. You know, it's like, well, you're missing two songs, so you're going to have to buy them from us. <laughs> yeah. That'll teach you <laughs> to toy with iTunes. It's like impossible you know, for me to... Before we start. No, absolutely, absolutely. It's impossible for me to because I'm trying to, at some point, like, record all these, you know, even if they're not that great quality. Right. Um, the guy coming in later today, actually, he sent me these... Uh, sort of weird rare comedy CDs that he personally went through and restored uh, and then wow. went through and restored the covers as well so that they look as pristine as they could oh, ever that's look really nice. puts his own money into making these things look beautiful like, they don't look like they were printed digitally like he just does a gorgeous job it's that's amazing. really cool yeah he's a really super and he's also fire sign theaters official archivist he's a genius he's a brilliant dude but yeah that's very cool because uh, I I'm also into like old films and stuff mm -hmm. like that and you see a lot of things that are like oh this is vhs is as far as this oh, ever yeah. got yeah, yeah, yeah and it really should be digitized 100 you know 100 and uh like i was trying to track down because i'm also a big uh comic book fan uh -huh. the films that uh inspired bob kane oh okay nice so there was uh the man who laughs mm -hmm. which is a, a german film yeah starring uh conrad veit from casablanca he was the nazi mm -hmm. in Casablanca, yeah. but he was a huge star in germany mm -hmm. and it's a victor hugo novel uh -huh. about a guy whose father was a criminal okay and he's punished for it, like in his land. Oh, okay. that it was like, well, the father died, but we we want to punish your family even more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they carve a smile into his oh, face. Oh, I've seen the pictures from that. Right, yeah. that's supposed to be what inspired the Joker, right? Right. Okay. You know, and he looks hideous, oh, yeah. but he's actually the tragic hero of the story. Yeah. And so, Vite, you know, it's a silent film. Mm -hmm. All of his emoting is taking place from here. Oh up. my god! And the rest of it is just this horrible smile. Oh, that's fucking creepy. And uh, mm. but he's do he does such a great job. Like the character falls in love with a blind circus girl, uh -huh. and it's and it's all about him uh, eventually finding out that he's actually royalty. Oh my god! <laughs> and so it's wow. like his life is just all over the map. That's insane. And it's a beautiful film, but it's uh, it's one of those that just kind of slipped through the cracks. Mm -hmm. And had it not been for the Batman connection, mm -hmm. it would have completely banished. Right, yeah. oh, that's and up. now it's starting to like proliferate on DVD mm -hmm. and on Blu-ray and stuff like that. Yeah. But there's ones like uh, London After Midnight, uh -huh. which there is no full copy of. What? The, really? It's, it's a Lon Chaney film mm -hmm. that everyone currently alive has not seen Jesus. and there are big chunks of it out there and mm -hmm. there are, and people have done restorations with like lobby cards that had like stills oh, from okay. it and stuff like that okay. but 
it's one of those things that if anyone ever finds and and it very well could exist yeah. a full copy of it somewhere like right. a full reel yeah uh, it would be like essentially finding the holy grail that's of film that's insane you know wow that's upsetting when I hear that shit. Like, cause like yeah. the reason I get along with this dude is we both kind of have this archival nature about us. So right. when I hear about something missing at all, I'm just like, no, 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 <laughs> yeah. no. My OCD just kicks in, and, and you've I'm like, probably no. seen pictures of Lon Chaney in the makeup from that. Probably, he's, yeah. He's wearing like a top hat and has like a white yes. wig. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like okay. Long, that's what that's wig. from. Okay. Yeah. Wow. I should know. I went to film school, but I don't know. Um, that's wow. That's upsetting. That's upsetting. Fingers are always crossed, obviously. But didn't they yeah. recently find a print, an, another, they're always finding new prints of Metropolis, but they found another, like, right, full yeah. print, finally. <laughs> and they're all different, is the funny yeah. part. Like, yeah. they each have a different edit to mm-hmm. them. And it's, uh, I would imagine at that time in Germany, you, it's like, you'd want a few different versions of any sure. film you were doing. Just in case. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, to, to go with whatever the current political climate seriously, is. Seriously. Seriously. You know, and, uh, but yeah, that and like uh, Millier, they keep finding films of his. Yeah. Thank God. Right. You know, like these. Just that the guy, before there was color, mm-hmm. colored his films like hand colored. Right. right. It's like. It's upsetting. Any, anyone that like. I mean, talk about what uh, Kubrick said about either you care or you don't. It's mm-hmm. like, that's someone who cares <laughs> when they're going frame by frame. Seriously. And, like, coloring in oh, each frame. That's insane. You know? That's, in, again, hurts my OCD badly. In the <laughs> other way. Totally on the other end of the spectrum. Um, in case this is an interesting conversation, I started recording it. It turns out it was very interesting. Oh, okay. So, hey, we can so, keep it in if you want. I should have. No, we're fine. I could, I could hear had you. Had right? done I, better I, mic etiquette <laughs> for that. You, but... you didn't know. I shocked you and surprised you. Why uh, was he in a wind tunnel when he was talking to you about film restoration? Uh, so, we have Mike Black here. Hi, Mike Black. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Um, we were, oddly enough, not here to talk about silent film, but I could talk about this shit all day. Um, but you picked Robin Williams. Yeah, and uh, uh, yeah, I'm glad we started talking about that, because next I was going to confess a murder, and, <laughs> and I'm glad that wasn't recorded. Yeah, that doesn't count. So, Saying yeah. I, I was going to does not count, so you're Yeah, fine. no. You're it's, good. You're good. It wasn't even my murder. I was going to rat someone else out, a, a buddy of mine in comedy. Ted Twyman hasn't murdered anyone. He's, he's a totally legitimate, upstanding comedian, and he works very hard. <laughs> so how long have you been doing stand-up? Uh, professionally... Mm-hmm. For a little over a decade. Okay. That's uh, actually no, God, even more than that. Since '99. Okay. Is is when I was first like going out to clubs to mm-hmm. like see about doing sure, it. Sure. Sure. And then right around 2000 is when I got into it. Mm-hmm. Like, are you from actually LA? start? No, okay. uh, from Colorado. Okay. I was born in San Antonio, but I hated it there, mm-hmm. and I didn't speak English at the time because mm-hmm. uh, okay. I, I was an infant and uh, mm-hmm. so I just like cried and crapped my pants a lot and uh, eventually my parents got the hint that they're like he, he wants to move somewhere else but they moved to Colorado which was not the message I was sending because right. <laughs> I didn't want to live there either but uh, not that I hate it there or anything but I just I didn't want to live there yeah. and uh, so lived there for most of uh, through college and mm-hmm. stuff and then uh saved up i really like spent about three out of the four years of college trying to figure out 
somewhere between New York and L.A., which okay. I was going to end up. Yeah. And, like, Chicago was, like, the back burner. Yeah. Where it was, like, if you're going to do any sort of performing arts professionally, it really, at that time, was one of those three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now it's, like, Wyoming has film sure. studios and shit. Yeah. So, it's yeah. you know, yeah. it doesn't matter where you live Not anymore. Really. And with, like, the proliferation of, you know, YouTube and stuff like that, you can live wherever you want. Yeah. You And in a way, it's, like, anyone listening who's thinking of getting into performing arts you have no excuse anymore no, you can't say not. oh i live in moab utah i right. can't do shit yes right. you can yes, you, you can. can we have the internet now <laughs> and you know but uh at that time yeah, back, yeah. back in the olden times you had to move to one of those and so i picked la mostly because it seemed like and this was before the musical rent mm-hmm. it really did seem like everything you did in new york was about saving money to in some shitty gotcha, apartment gotcha, yep, and i was yep. like i really want to i know it's going to be a struggle so sure. i want to have at least some enjoyment and levity in between of course and i always thought even if you have like the tiniest place in the world in la mm-hmm. you're 20 minutes from the beach yeah. so you could do that yeah now i haven't gone to the beach in like eight years <laughs> but it's it's nice uh, knowing i have the option of course yeah you know? that's, that's what keeps you going man oscar levant said the ballet is the fairies football i said yeah if that's true, maybe we should have Tom Landry working with the ballet going, all right, Brechnikov, come over here. Everybody huckle up. I want you to take Giselle out, lift her, throw her down five yards. Everybody else? You know, the ballet's not over till the swan takes it in the ass. You know what I'm saying? Everybody, come on. Maybe you have a choreographer working with a football team. All right, everybody, line up, everyone, line up. Oh, my God, a smorgasbord. Look at this. All right, all right, who's the tight end? Fabulous. You stay right there. I love you. Okay. All right, what I want you to do, a simple pattern, everybody. Run long, do this, attempt to catch the ball. The rest of you push, 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 push. I love it, I love it. There's a little man in here going, sorry, he's not here tonight. Mm. Take a little sip here to relax. God, thank you for coming. I, uh... Damn. A little sip of Perrier here. I had to stop drinking alcohol because I used to wake up nude and hood in my car with my keys in my ass. <laughs> Not a good thing. All right, can I help you? No, thanks. It's just flooded. I'll be okay. <laughs> beautiful, baby. Beautiful, yeah. Do you re- did you see this special ori- when it originally aired, or was it something you heard or watched later? It was. They came out simultaneously, and we mm-hmm. got HBO pretty early on okay. in my house. And I remember my brother getting the album and us listening to it and me not having the heart to tell him that it was on HBO. Like, he'd spent his allowance oh, no. on it. He was like, let's listen to this. And to, I, I should mention the way I was brought up uh, comedically was when I was a little kid, my brothers were both at least a decade older than me. One was uh, 10 years older and one was 11 years older from my mom's first marriage. Mm -hmm. And so they were, when I was like, you know, seven, they were 17 and 18, you know? And so they were able to go get a lot of these albums and stuff. Sure. And, and they were very just cool about like letting me stay up with them to watch Saturday Night Live mm-hmm. or watch you know uh, Beverly Hills Cop and stuff yes. like that you know and yeah. so I got to exposed to a lot of this great stuff much earlier than a lot of other kids were yeah and I remember vividly part of why I chose this album was because uh, it typically you're asked 
when did you decide you wanted to be a comedian, like, professionally? Yeah. And it was my brother Randy uh, asking me, while I was watching Mork and Mindy, Uh he was like, what do you want to do when you grow up? Like, because I was a weird kid, and he was just kind of morbidly curious about, (laughs) like, he was like, what are you going to do with yourself when you get older? And uh, I was like, I want to do that. And I was like, you know, just pointed at the TV, and he was like... Mike, you know, he's not really an alien, <laughs> and, and you can't sleep on a barber pole or what, whatever he's doing. Uh, I was like, no, I know he's not. He's pretending, and he's getting paid to pretend. Right. I'm rather good at pretending, so I would like to get paid for that. I felt like that was my calling, was, awesome. was pretending. I was like, if, if I didn't know that that was a job until then. And right. I was like, well, if you can get paid to do that, then I don't see why Dad goes <laughs> to a normal job <laughs> right. when right. this is an option, you know? <laughs> and so... Oh, my God. And, and Robin Williams was, to me, I was like, he... To me, even as a little kid, mm-hmm. I recognized that he was much better at pretending than most of the other people sure. on the show. Sure, 100%. You know? And yeah. I was like, that's that's the type to aspire to. Mm-hmm. And then when they added Jonathan Winters oh, onto God. that show, oh, God. it was like Christmas for, for my mind uh-huh. as a kid, you know, to watch yeah. when, when both of those guys were on there. And I remember my dad letting me stay up. Everyone, no one in the family really... Uh, disciplined me at all. There, there was no rules in this house. Like, and what was funny is everyone thought that they were the only ones doing it. Like, my mom would let me stay up. She, oh, you come, come to the bingo hall with me and play bingo. And, and my dad would be like, "Yeah, let's stay up late and watch TV. Don't tell anyone." And everyone was doing it. Like, no one, no one, amazing. wasn't corrupting me somehow. You know. And so we, we watched. Uh, the Carson show, the tonight show. And this to me was one of the greatest things ever where his first guest was Jonathan winners. Uh-huh. His second guest was Robin Williams. And then they had the balls to book a third guest, <laughs> which was some poor guy who'd written like a real estate book or something, <laughs> barely got a word in edgewise. And the two of them are just making fun of the book and like, oh, wouldn't it be better if it was titled this <laughs> land grab or <laughs> land snatch? Well, you can't call it that. <laughs> there are censors. You know, it was that oh sort of thing. <laughs> and the poor guy's just sitting there just like, I wrote uh, two, two, two years of my life down the drain on this book. They were, and everyone was laughing so hard. Ed McMahon nearly died that night. He was like, he turned purple. He was oh laughing so hard, God. you know. And it was just one of the greatest things I'd ever seen. And I was like, insane. what kind of sadistic bastard booked that yep. third guy? Yep. Yep. <laughs> you know? That's pure art, but at the same time, torture. <laughs> yeah. Holy shit. That guy, like, for the rest of his life, just wanted to kill Robin <laughs> yeah. Williams. He got, he's the one who got him hooked on coke. Yeah, and you know, <laughs> everyone else was, it was like, you know, oh, you must love them now. And no, not really. <laughs> My book never went anywhere. Although, you know, most people who write real estate books now, they look at him as the godfather of real estate books. Yeah, probably. Some people are a little tired of his antics, you know, a little too much, a little too rapid fire in writing. Like, he's like, I am. I'm the Robin Williams of... Oh, no, I'm not. Poor bastard. I don't ever want to meet the Robin Williams of real estate. That sounds like a very tedious meeting. It really does. It really does. (laughs) So, okay, so how young were you when you first listened to this then? Uh, or watched it. God, when did it come out? It was. Uh, uh, I really should have looked that up. I believe it was yeah. around eighty three ish. But let me just double check. So here. I would have been 
Does that sound right? Or is that uh, I don't know. Let's see. Eight, I guess. Robin Williams, Live at the Met. Because the only reason I ask is because I know from personal experience, you know, uh, I remember laughing very hard at this because my parents were laughing very hard at it. So I just don't yeah. remember how much of it I got. Do you, 86, actually. So 86, no, I was, I was off. so yeah. Uh, I would have been 10 or 11 at okay. that point. Okay, okay. And so old enough to get most of it. Yeah. And and I remember feeling that way even then that I was like, even the stuff that was like supposed to be over your head about mm-hmm. like alcoholism and sure, stuff like that. Sure, the, sure, sure. the joke about I'll be over here <laughs> kicking the cat, <laughs> yes, you know, right. uh, even that stuff, like I'd had enough world experience okay. to, to get. And, but I loved that there was stuff that seemed more like it was aimed towards me about like, coming home drunk and your son has a transformer i was like oh you wrote a did a joke about transformers that to me that was aimed at me even even though it clearly wasn't the thing about teddy ruxpin uh, like being evil god my friend i'm gonna give you his contact info Mm -hmm. after this because you have to have him on andrew dewitt Mm -hmm. and i'm not gonna tell the whole story and ruin it Uh but when he was a kid, all he wanted was Teddy Ruxpin, mm-hmm. and his his grandmother did all of her Christmas shopping at a medical supply store, <laughs> and and she had like her list, and the guy there was trying to help out, and she's like, oh, my, my grandson wants a Teddy Ruxpin, and he goes, well, we have something like that, oh. and it was a thing called Spinoza Speaks, which was a bear... That the automated talking bear that you put a cassette in, uh-huh. and it was designed to help out terminal cancer patient children <laughs> oh. get used to the idea of dying. Oh my god! But you have to have him on to talk about. It. I won't oh. ruin it. Now you have. Oh boy! Now yeah. you have to have Absolutely him on. Pretty much. <laughs> like, oh my you god! Know. But you can imagine kind of just Holy how shit. how rad that was from there. Oh my god! But, uh, yeah, I remember Teddy Ruxpin thinking it was the coolest thing ever, mm-hmm. and I didn't get one. But even back then, shitty kids in Colorado would sneak up to the display or, like, uh-huh. you know, try and re like, put a Metallica tape in there right, or something course, like that. Of course. And so you just got Teddy Ruxpin singing about the devil and stuff. <laughs> I. I wish hip hop had been bigger at that time. Seriously, if, if there had been a gangster rap Teddy Ruxpin, <laughs> that would have been so much better. That would have been fantastic. But I noticed listening to this last night. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to listen to it again, fresh to prepare. Was uh, that, and I hadn't listened to it in a couple years. That there are a lot of things in that album that are considered hack now. That are like sure you know, old hat sort of stuff. And it's like, you have to look at it and think, well, this was actually the first time it was done. This is where mm-hmm. it came from. Yeah. This is where yeah. people started going, oh, I should do that. You know, yeah. I, you know, I should do stuff about a Nicholson impression and that sort of first. thing. You know, right, it's right, like, right. he was one of the first guys doing that stuff. And uh, e- even then, he was giving... Uh, like he gets a lot of stuff about lifting material from other comics, sure, you know. Sure. But even then, I noticed he was like, if he could remember a clever thing that someone said and remember who said it, mm-hmm. he would credit them. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he did about the Tom Waits thing about yeah. Uh, maybe there is no devil. Maybe it's just God when he's drunk. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I remember when I got out here. 
about six years ago, I had, I think it was about that long ago, I had the opportunity to see him at Universal Amphitheater. Oh. And this was him, like, making his big comeback into doing stand-up yeah. and everything. And, there, you know, there's that part of you on stuff like that where it's like the, the don't meet your idols yes. sort of thing where yes. you're like, oh, this could go really bad. Hey. Because I've been doing comedy a long time now, and it's like my tastes have changed sure. pretty dramatically. And and now I'm like the guy who can't enjoy it as much, mm-hmm. you know, because I've been doing it so long. So I was worried about that. But I I watched him, and what I thought was interesting was he had the hour that he was prepping for the special, okay. for like the, the Showtime or HBO special, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. But he did another hour prior to that about shit that had happened that day (laughs) so wow i don't give a shit how good of a comic you think you are there Mm -hmm. are very few dudes i know that will ever achieve a point in their life where they can do an hour about current events from that day yes see there's people know who are even beyond marijuana you know the people who are going like hey is the show on (laughs) you know what i'm talking about the peruvian marching powder the devil's dandruff Nice thing, though. Cocaine. Mmm, what a wonderful drug. Anything that makes you paranoid and impotent, give me more of that. Mmm, what a great thing to do. Oh, we're back with sound again. Sorry about the sound. I got the sound from Hollywood. People in the balcony were going, we understood him. I guess Juilliard helped for a brief moment. I could enunciate to the back row, just like Sylvester Stallone doing Hamlet. This would be a place where Stallone could do Hamlet. To be or what? (laughs) Jeez. We're back again. We were discussing cocaine for a brief moment. The sound crapped up, but that's why I'm using Sapaza sound. (laughs) No one wants their tapes back. I wonder why. Even, let's say you've got 12 writers with you. Mm -hmm. And and it's like, okay, all of you, each of you write me five minutes. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm going to do an hour tonight. Just the memorization oh, yeah. of that. 100%. Just to even be aware of an hour's worth of events that have happened <laughs> right. to talk about right. is an achievement, you know. And yeah. so it, I, I was very pleased and relieved by that, that I was like, no, I was right. This yeah. guy's really at the top of his fucking game. That's insane. And there are a lot of comics who still shit on him. And it's like, whenever they do it around me, I'm like, see him. Yeah. Go go see him somewhere yeah. and then report back to me about how shitty he is compared to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Compared to whatever you're conjuring up right now that's yeah. so awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I remember some guy telling me, he's like, well, I'm kind of, and I don't want to give this guy's name, but he was real shitty and I didn't like him. And uh-huh. He was like, I'm kind of a comedy aficionado. <laughs> and what I don't like about Robin Williams is uh, all the shameless mugging he does. I was like, yeah, I like those pricks carlin and Pryor, <laughs> they're you know all those guys cosby just horrible shameless muggers you mean comics that actually performed <laughs> that right. actually you know it's like you realize they're not writing novels they there's, there's more to it than just the words uh-huh. you know and uh it always amazes me when when guys get on that that's that comes from a 90s sort of ethic of like back when comics were just reading off notepads Mm -hmm. and it was kind of like 
it it was interesting, but it sure. was essentially books on tape. Yeah. It was like this is my act. Mm-hmm. That this is what I would do on stage, right? You know, if if I actually took the time to perform an act, yeah. You know, and uh, so so whenever I hear shit like that, I just think you're out of your mind. This, yeah. You know, it's like the really the best comics out there are the ones that get that it's a performance medium. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. and and he really did. I remember seeing some show. Where he was always very good about like whatever the background was, mm-hmm. toying with it and making it part Definitely. of what he was doing. Where they in, in at some club he was at, uh, I, I want to say it was Catch a Rising Star because it seemed like it had okay. that background. But it's the cityscape, okay. And and there's a moon up above and there's stars and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he comes on stage like a Shakespearean actor. <laughs> And, he, and he's got, like, his chest out and all this presence, and it's silent. You can hear a pin drop in the room. And he goes, the moon like a testicle hangs low in the sky. <laughs> and then he looks at some poor lady in the audience, and he goes, my sister Hernia, what news? <laughs> and I was like, what a great en- intro, you know? Yeah, 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 and it's yeah. like, that was just such a great way to start, you know? And it immediately oh got the album, like, what I loved about seeing that is that anyone who was at that show mm-hmm. knows that that's something he didn't do at the last? Of course, time. yeah. You know, and he was—he's always very good at that, at making it feel like, even if it, even if all of the stuff he's done, he's done somewhere else, making it feel like this is the show that matters. The yeah. one that you're at yeah. is the one that people are going to be talking about and go, oh, you should have gone last night because right. he did, you know, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and I always thought that was a, a really, really phenomenal thing that not a lot of other comics are, are able to capture. Yeah. Like, you see a lot of guys, and I always think of it as their act is on rails. Yeah. Where it's like, it is a very specific For thing. Sure. And it's going to go from here to here to here. And then end here, mm-hmm. and and you just always know that that's going to be the pattern, whenever you see them. Yeah. But he was very good about you. Really, never knew where he was going to take. You know, it could go to a really dark, unfunny place for, for sure. a while. For sure. And then he'd like land a punchline that would bring it back. You know, yeah. and it's like, I like that. I like the almost extreme sports nature of it. Yeah. <laughs> of like, you know, because. What I used to think was, God, how how weird must this be for people that invite, like, their mom or their <laughs> friend? Like, we're shooting this on Mother's Day, so I'm thinking about that. Mm-hmm. And and I'm like, how weird would it be? Because, like, with Cosby, you know what you're getting into. For sure. Even though I don't think he's very on rails either. But, like, mm-hmm. with him, you kind of know what you're getting into. Mm-hmm. And with a lot of other comics, it's a safe bet that everyone will be okay. But it's like... Oh, we could get into some real weird territory yeah. that I, uh, that I don't necessarily want these people knowing that I find funny, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And I I always thought that was that was a very interesting thing uh, about him that he wasn't afraid to do that. Definitely, you know? yeah. I mean, even his best jokes about alcoholism there are in, in this one are incredibly fucking dark. Oh I mean, yeah, you know, like it's like I'm like oh I keep forgetting he's got those demons and that at this point he had quote unquote conquered them and. Yeah, you know, with perspective, it's interesting to know that he felt. Oh yeah, you know? like yeah, you you look at it. Uh, I was thinking that too. Like in in hindsight, you watch that special, and it's like, 
oh, you still have <laughs> a ways to go, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like, I remember watching Carlin, like, old specials of him, like, after he'd had his first heart attack. Oh, right. And he's like, yeah, that, that got me to shape up. It's like, no, you still have three or four more. Seriously, you know? seriously. I remember him talking about uh, how him and... Uh, Pryor had a rivalry uh-huh. where he was like, I had a heart attack, Richard would have a heart attack. I'd have a heart attack, Richard would have a heart attack. I had a heart attack, Richard blew up. I was like, fuck that, I'm having another heart attack. <laughs> That's right. Oh, my God. Oh, shit. Do, oh, man, do you, um, and I've only seen a couple, uh, a little bit of your work, so I apologize. Yeah, no, but that's I'm, fine. I'm, I'm happy it's, to have you on. It's the same as everyone else. Don't <laughs> worry. <laughs> no, but the clips I've seen are very funny. Um, uh, yesterday, I killed at Nick's check cashing. It was a very big show. <laughs> everyone there, the one-legged guy was very excited that I was back. <laughs> He's like, do more Putin material. <laughs> He's very political, that guy. <laughs> you have to know your audience. Oh, Nick. Oh, that's, do you, I mean, do you get... Like, dark, is that a thing of yours? Do you care to get dark, or do you... Because <laughs> some people don't. God, that would be a great name of an album. Do, do you, you get, care to get dark? Do you care to get dark. I like uh, that. You can have that. That's solid. <laughs> but, uh, yes, I do. I I don't ever plan on it. Okay. But it happens. It's just like... that's just life. It's like a a lot of times you wouldn't care to get dark, but God doesn't care what you care about. He'll, he'll, he'll make it dark (laughs) anyway, you know? And, uh, to me, that's kind of the point, isn't it? It's Mm. like, you're taking the, the tragedy of the world and trying to at least find some positive way of internalizing that and, and saying, uh, Yes, this horrible thing happens, but as the Jews say, this passes too, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, you need that. You need, I think, to to be aware that it's not always going to be this horrible. Sure. And, the, and I would say a good 30 to 40 percent of life is gallows humor. Of course. You know, is yeah. like taking something really fucking horrible mm-hmm. and finding some way of being able to live with it. Yeah. I remember Jim Brown saying, and I think he'd heard it somewhere else, so if if anyone's really into literature and mm-hmm. is pissed off, don't blame <laughs> Jim Brown and don't sue him or me. <laughs> but I remember him saying once... Uh, they were asking about he had he had his own like black exploitation movie studio for uh-huh. a while and and he was doing his own movies and he got to be in charge of all of it and stuff like that and uh, he and like Fred Williamson helped him out and like got him into a bunch of these and so mm-hmm. and he was I think that's what it was I think he was quoting Fred Williamson okay. actually now <laughs> that I recall but he said um, nothing lives in my head rent free mm-hmm. and I. Fucking love, love that. That's you good. know, and I was yeah. like, that's really ultimately what comedy should be. Yeah. Is that any horrible thing that happened to you, when, like, ideally, you're going to make money with it. Sure. <laughs> you know, sure. you're going to find some way of turning it around. Mm-hmm. And, like, I remember he recently passed, but a friend of mine who is one of the best comics I'd ever seen, uh, John Panette, mm-hmm. um, had a, a big issue with his weight his entire life. Sure. And that was a big struggle for him personally uh, in his life. And he sold out theaters with it, yeah. you know, yeah. with taking that crutch, yeah. you know, that uh, taking that and not letting it be a crutch, letting it, you know, saying 
you know, this is what I've had to go through, and I know I'm not alone. Mm -hmm. I know some of you out there have either had this problem or dreaded it. Yeah. And together we're going to laugh about it. Right. I remember him telling one of my favorite jokes was actually a true story mm-hmm. where and and he told me it and I laughed so hard that he told it on stage <laughs> and he, and I don't think he'd ever told it before that uh-huh. but it was uh he was like when I was a kid I used to work at my dad's Irish pub and drunk Irishmen are very honest oh, no. and they would just you're a fat little boy you're fat you're a fat little boy and I want you to know, if you keep getting too fat, eventually the angels won't be able to carry you to heaven when you die. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, and that just slayed me. Uh-huh. Like, and you know that it was. That's exactly what they said. He yep. didn't change it at all. It was just this brutally honest, horrible thing for an adult to say to a little kid. Yeah. He said it on stage, and it just crushed. Oh, I bet. Because everyone's been through that to mm-hmm. some extent. They've had some older person mm-hmm. tell them something horrible yes. and true yes. that they couldn't, that as a kid, you're not ready to deal with, you know? Right. And it's like, that. it was just so great, you mm-hmm. know? And, and it's like, to me, that little thing right there encapsulated his whole comedic experience in yeah. a sense where it was like, that kind of happened to him throughout his life. For sure. And he turned it into gold, literally, yeah. you know, and I, I always thought that was just amazing, you know. South Africa's getting to the point where even Lester Maddox is going to have to go over there and go, excuse me, Mr. Bolta, can I talk to you for a moment? <laughs> George, what do you think? <laughs> okay, come on. <laughs> Mr. Bolta? Mr. Bolta, can I explain something to your ass? Let me show you the odds here, Sparky. <laughs> there's 14 million black people. There's 3 million white people. Now, does the name Custer mean anything to you? I think you better circle them. You know what I'm saying? Either you better circle all the wagons or learn some sports real quick. <laughs> Scary times. And there's Kurt Voldheim. Mr. Voldheim, are you a Nazi? Well, we had a few BS. Next thing you know, Davy on Czechoslovakia. <laughs> What's next? Poland? No. What about that picture of you and Hitler? It's like the Inquirer. They matted it in. It wasn't me. No. It's all too crazy. And no, there's the United Nations, like a traffic cop on Valium. All this is going down, they're going, stop, stop. Best thing for the UN to do right now is to go condo, you know what I'm saying? It's scary time. Do you, is it genuinely cathartic for you? Uh, or is it at this point, is it just material? I mean, I don't imagine it is just material for you. When you get dark, when you, when you actually deal with, I mean. Yeah, uh, like. I, I definitely have material that's become just material because I've done it so much mm-hmm. where it's like it used to be this great cathartic thing okay. and now it's just like, well, this will fill four minutes, yeah. you know. And, but I guess it's a good thing. That's a yeah. testament to the fact that it worked. And and it's also easier. It's a weird thing with old material because it's like when you've done it a thousand times, there are a lot of things that happens where you're so certain it'll get a laugh. Mm-hmm that you do it a certain way and if it doesn't get a laugh you're like 
well, this audience is insane. Right. Because this has worked a thousand times. And, and maybe you missed a line. Maybe, mm-hmm. like, you're on such autopilot right. that you didn't explain it fully. Of or something. course, yeah. But you just immediately assume it's their fault. You're like, no, everyone everyone else who's ever heard this joke loves it. These people are lunatics. Fuck them. And, and then the other thing that happens that I find is I have to watch out for is occasionally... After I've told a joke a thousand times, I'll remember why it was funny in the first place to me. Yeah. And I'll start laughing at it. Right. And fuck it up. Like like I can't tell it right because I'm I'm enjoying I'm like, oh I forgot why this was funny to me in the first place. And so I'm having a great time and the audience is like, What the hell's he talking about? You know? And so that happens too, but like I think the the real catharsis comes during the writing process okay. when when you feel like you've cracked something mm-hmm. where it's like th- this was a thing that's plagued me or what have you uh and then when you write it in a way where you're like i'm pretty sure i figured out not only what's funny about this but how to share that with other people yeah because there's a lot of times true, where yeah. it's like I know something's funny, and it's funny to me. Yeah. But explaining it to someone else is very, very difficult. You know, like I told uh, a buddy of mine a story. This is a story I've told on a a couple of podcasts, but it's very, very dark. But it's the truth, and it's (laughs) funny. And so it was like, it's one of those that it wasn't until I started telling it. I never thought I would ever tell it. Okay. It was one of those kind of things where it was like, I was at my friend Adam's house and I was about seven years old. Mm -hmm. And my friend Adam was like a skinny little kid with glasses and not very cool. And not like, even at that age, you kind of know who's going to be cool and who isn't. And like, it was very clear he wasn't going to be very cool. But his, his dad reminded me of the guy who plays Ron Swanson on Parks and Recreation. <laughs> mm-hmm. His dad was like a man-man, mm-hmm. you know, and he ha- and a very severe sort of look to him, yeah. you know. And he would call him champ and sport, you know, <laughs> to keep his confidence up. And Adam was just a little off. Like, there was something just a little not right mm-hmm. about Adam. And his sister, Shannon... I was hanging out at their place, and I was bummed out. And I don't know why, but whatever upsets a seven-year-old kid was upsetting me that day. But so Shannon is out front with uh, her best friend, and they're playing with strawberry shortcake dolls on the front lawn. Mm -hmm. And Adam sees that I'm uh, upset about something, and he's like, are you okay? I was like, yeah, I'm just, I don't know. I'm all right. And he's like, I know what will cheer you up. Okay. So he goes over and stands over his sister and her friend. And he goes, you want me to? And I'm like, sure. I think he's going to do a magic trick or something (laughs) that he's learned. And in a way, he did. (laughs) He unzips his pants, whips his dick out. His sister goes, Adam, like... (laughs) Like you would like to a dog. Happened before. Yeah, and, and she just gets up. She like drops her toys, gets up, and just kind of shakes her head and starts walking off. Oh my god! Leaving her friend there, <laughs> who has just long enough to go ew 
before Adam starts pissing on her head. Oh my god! And it's like hitting her right in the forehead. Oh my! And like god. you're hearing it, you're hearing this. Oh my! A, as god. A, a steady stream of piss uh-huh. is hitting her in the forehead, and it's one of those things where it's like eight seconds that takes like an eternity. Of course. And she's kind of in shock, as yep. as anyone would be. Yeah. yeah. And so for about eight seconds, she just takes it. Uh Uh-huh. And it's just, right, uh uh-huh, piss is hitting me in the head, this is happening to me right now, and she just, and then finally, at about eight seconds in, the reality of what's happening fully hits her, and she drops Strawberry Shortcake, and she drops the Peculiar Purple Pie Man, and she goes, ah! (laughs) Like she's on fire. And she does that thing where... When people get a head wound, uh-huh. where they don't touch the wound, but yep. their hands kind of orbit around their head. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, ah, like that. Adam's laughing hysterically. Oh He's having the time of his life. It's like he just figured out what he was put on earth to do <laughs> is to pee on girls' heads. Oh so he's enjoying himself more than he ever has before. I'm laughing but not in the way he is. No, more, no. more that like, this is the craziest thing I've ever been part of. Yes. This is, I would liken it to when a hooker dies at a bachelor party. <laughs> I'm the guy in the other room that's like, what the fuck yeah. just happened? Right. You know, that's yes. kind of where I'm at. Mm-hmm. So this is my first bachelor party, essentially, <laughs> is what's happening here. Oh and so he's going crazy. She's drenched and just, ah, you know, freaking out. Then I hear, champ, get in here. <laughs> The piss stream stops immediately out of fear. Oh. And Adam goes from laughing. He goes like, oh, I gotta go. Oh <laughs> so, like, uh, like it, I'm sorry this is over. Like, I was trying to cheer you up. I'm sorry it had to end. Oh, my God. Then he goes running inside, and I hear this thunderclap from inside uh-huh. his dad hitting him. Oh, my God. Leaving me outside, outside. with this girl drenched in piss. Oh, my and I look at her, and she looks at me, and I realize that all of this is way over my head. Mm-hmm. And I go, oh, you better not tell. And then I just ran home as soon as I could. Oh, my God. Ne- never. Like, just sure that my parents were going to get called at some point. Uh-huh. No one in the neighborhood no. ever spoke about it again. Oh, it understandably. was the craziest. But, like, that's one of those things that, like, for the longest time you think, well, this is far too dark to ever talk uh-huh, about, on, right. you know, to, uh-huh. to anyone in the public. But anytime I've done it on stage, I realize that there are at least four other guys with similar incidents yes. in the room yes. that are dying. Mm-hmm. And at least three girls that have had similar horrible things happen to them right. that are also dying, yes. you know. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's a very bizarre sort of thing, you know. How just how people embrace different things, you know, at different points in their life, or become. I don't know if you ever become okay with that, right. but like, like there's a part of me that thinks that that girl is one of two things has happened. She's either become a billionaire, yes. who hunts down men that pee on people, right, or she's just a stripper. Right. It's it, it's really. <laughs> She's at one end of the spectrum or the other. She didn't. There's no way she's a middle of the road type gal. Right, that was the now. moment it all changed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my god. Did you, did you ever find yourself like as a young comedian trying to, you know, maybe unconsciously 
ape any of the comedians you first really loved? Because, I mean, you know, so... Or, or were, had you already established some kind of a voice or a desire to have a specific type of voice when you first got up on stage? I think I was lucky because I did a lot of improv in college. Oh, okay. That was going to be one of my questions, yeah. And during that time, I think I got a lot of that out of my system yeah. of, like... I notice I, you know, in improv, it's very hard to steal someone's material because it's, you know, you're in a group setting yes. and it's a different dynamic. But I realized I was taking a lot of other comedians' personas okay. in into improv with me and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, and it helped. Uh, I think you never really fully get rid of your influences. No, no. Right. You know, but I think, in a way, it's like a salad bar. You take what works for you mm-hmm. and leave the rest. And, you know, uh, even my greatest influences, I don't want to be exactly like. Yeah. You know, it's like, because, you know, they had their own life experience, which was totally different from mine. Yeah. All of these healers. If that man in the PTO club is such an amazing healer, why can't he make his wife, Chippy Bob Hairdo, go down? <laughs> Jim Baker and Tammy, if this man has a direct line to God, why does his wife look like divine? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and there's Ernest Ainsley saying, I will heal you, but he's wearing a toupee show so shitty, looks like a small animal crawled on his head and went, <clears throat> There's Reverend Gene Scott going, I will compare and contrast Jesus and Spider-Man. <laughs> no, baby, no. Makes you think that God's up there looking down going, I gave you a nice planet and you fucked it up. <laughs> Everything's going a little strange. Our rivers are so polluted that maybe one day a 5,000-pound trout's going to crawl out of the Hudson and go, I won't talk to anybody from Dow Chemical. Anybody. <laughs> it is it's over here. I got some two-headed babies to show your ass. <laughs> Better living through chemistry? Show me this. Yeah. But we believe now the accident at Chernobyl has been taken care of. If you'd like to follow us into the plant, I'll show you around. <laughs> Tom Waits once said that, you know, maybe there's no devil. It's just God when he's drunk. Well, if God drinks, do you think that God gets stoned once in a while? Look at a platypus. I think so. I remember hearing, it's funny, like, some guys that I admire, I hear them talk about their influences, and it's like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it's like, you see it coming through. Like, one of the guys that I really love isn't a stand-up, it's Bill Murray. Uh-huh. And I remember him talking about uh, Bob Newhart. Oh, and sure. I was like, oh, that makes a yeah, lot makes of sense when you think about it, yeah. you know. And it's like, I would never have connected those two mm-hmm. on my own. Sure. But once I heard it, I was like, oh, that makes perfect sense yeah. that he would find that guy funny, mm-hmm. you know. And so stuff like that. I'm always interested in hearing other comics, like, talk about, like, who you know, who their influences were and stuff like that. You yeah. Because you can usually see little traces of it in there, you know. Yeah. But yeah. Do you have uh, the patience for the kind of rapid fire stuff Robin Williams does anymore, or only from him? Because it, it is. It's <laughs> yeah. so hard. It is hard. To, it's it's a task sometimes to I, sit down. Yeah. Well, I like it when it's someone who knows what they're doing. Sure. You know, when it's someone who, you know, like. I think for a while Dennis Leary was very good at like sure. rapid fire type humor and. I to me it's more exhausting on the performers end than than on the audience. Yeah. Like it, it's like I I don't see how you can sustain it for very long. Like right. I personally don't have the energy for that. For right. like I'll do I'll go in spurts in my act that mm-hmm. are very rapid, but like 
I couldn't do a, a whole hour of that shit. That's just like sounds exhausting. Yeah. I would get a, a muscle cramp somewhere right. trying right. to do that. Then it would end in a stroke, essentially, <laughs> and then I would never be able to do anything. You know, and and you don't want that to be your hook. No, the, no, the stroke comic. <laughs> you know, that reminds me of the New York Dolls. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, what's his name? The lead singer. Oh, uh, I always think of him as Buster Poindexter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Dave Johansson. Thank you. Uh, yeah, he told this story on Letterman once about, he was like, when the New York Dolls first came out in America, everyone hated them. Mm-hmm. He was like, everyone hated us here. So we go to England, and we're a huge hit over there, but for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> we get there, and the first pub we play gives us this leathery thick lager and they're like all the other alcohols off limits but these are free all night and we're and you know we're all like 18 we're not even allowed to drink in the states so we're like yeah this is great and you forget that in england everything is served warm Mm -hmm. like there's no Mm -hmm. ice nothing to to break it up or anything so it's we're essentially drinking leather (laughs) like just warm (laughs) pots of leather (sighs) And none of us are ready for it. Oh, and God. so we've each had about like five rounds now. And then it's oh, time to go on stage. God. We've been watching other acts. Our drummer is the first one to go. <laughs> and he barfs all over his drum oh, set. Oh, my God. But he knows that it's our first gig in London. <laughs> so he doesn't stop. Oh. He just keeps playing. Holy shit. He hits the cymbals. Bar flies off, hits the bass player. Of course. He starts throwing up. I get a whiff of it. I start throwing up. The whole band's just barfing all over the place. But we're all so nervous that everyone else kept playing that we all keep playing. The crowd loved it. Of course they did. Of course they did. So so then everyone's spreading it around. You gotta come see this band that barfs all over themselves while they play. So now we have to do it every night for for the rest of the European tour. We had to throw up every show. And I was like, you can very much paint yourself into a corner on stuff like that. You know? Oh my god. Where it's like, you really gotta be careful. Like, Gallagher. Mm -hmm. You know, as as much as I I think he's great, and I think he's actually... uh, not given enough credit as a writer. He's sure. a brilliant, brilliant writer. But uh, once that hammer cracked that first watermelon oh, yeah. open, oh, yeah. that was it. Yep. It's like, be ready for the rest of your life. <laughs> You're going to be doing that shit. Seriously. And I remember this is kind of a little bit behind the scenes kind of story. But uh, I, I used to open for Jeff Dunham Mm -hmm. at some of the improvs. And this was before he was already very, very big and making Uh like millions of dollars and stuff. Sure. But, um, at that time, that was before he was like, had the show on comedy central doing arenas and shit, you know? Right. And he would do about 10 minutes of normal stand up Mm -hmm. and then get into the, all the dolls. And he would actually say, he would be like, I know who you guys are really here to see. And then he would start, Sure. The the rest of his act. And I was uh, working with him, and I run into Andrew Dice Clay at the comedy store, and he was like, uh, how are things going? I was like, oh, good. I'm, I'm working with uh, Jeff Dunham now. And he goes, does he still do that 10 minutes of torture? <laughs> I was like, what do, you, what do you mean? Like, I'm pretending I don't know. He's like, you know, 
<laughs> where, where, where the audience is sitting there going, when's he going to crack out the fucking dolls? I paid to watch a grown man play with toys. When is that going to happen? <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's still that's, that's still going on. Holy shit. <laughs> that's fucking fine. You one know what, actually, one thing I love about Dice is that he just cuts to the heart of I assume that just about anything, you know. <laughs> like he's just very quick to get to like <laughs> I remember hearing him in the back of the comedy store if someone was terrible on stage, he wouldn't heckle them. Uh-huh. But he would just start talking to other comedians in the back. Oh, no. And, like, I, I would just be sitting back there, and some guy would be on stage trying his best. He's, like, sure. just cobbled together th- his first three minutes ever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's up there bombing. And Dice would just look at you and go, he's a zero. <laughs> oh, <my laughs> he's God. got no talent. Holy shit. <laughs> What's he doing up there? Oh, <laughs> my Just God. loud. Just of real course. Where... <laughs> oh, and the guy is like, oh, just, yeah. you know, I guess I'll close here. Oh, you know? My God. Wow. That's one way to thin the herd, I guess. Oh, Holy yeah. Shit, that's crazy. <laughs> you know, I mean, honestly, like you talk about sort of that audience expectation. I, I think that's one of those things with Robin Williams where he couldn't ever not do that. And, and oh, stand, yeah. You know, if he sounded like, be like him coming out for 10 minutes and doing Shakespeare and then, you know, like straight Shakespeare and then doing that. But yeah. like, he could never not be rapid fire. <laughs> So he's setting himself up for failure anyway, because at some point, you're yeah. not going to have that energy. Jonathan, although, well, I, remember, I say that, but Jonathan Winters, though, to the day he died, seemed to yeah. still be that dude. Yeah, he was very much, like, right up until he died, and Robin Williams almost died. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. He, uh, he talked about recently uh, how, like, after his heart attack, mm-hmm. he had gone on stage and done about 35 minutes and the audience, he was he was getting so into it, but he was getting winded too. Oh, yeah. He was like, "Cause you get exhausted, sure, quickly after heart attacks." A lot of people don't yeah. know. Yeah. And uh, he was like, "So I was kind of summoning my energy to keep going, and I saw people going, stop, just stop.' Oh no. And and uh, he was like, he was thinking, he was like, "Oh, I've I've stunk up the room. I'm doing terrible." They hate me or whatever. He's like, I've never had that happen where people are like, please stop. Please stop doing comedy. And, and that's, but they were actually concerned. concerned yeah. And uh, it wasn't until he got off stage that someone explained to him that it's like, no, we thought you were great, but we didn't want you to kill yourself. Seriously. You know? Oh and uh, so, so that, that really did nearly put him in a casket, you yeah. know, like, oh, my. and uh, I think he's doing a lot better now and yeah. is like, you know, uh, Although his show just got canceled today, yeah. but you know oh, that sucks. And, and I liked that show. I thought Did it, you? I, didn't uh, see it. I thought it was okay. You know, mm-hmm. um, he, him and Sarah Michelle Gellar were uh, very good on it, mm-hmm. and uh, it was a little schmaltzy. Okay, but okay. you know, uh, still like the moments where they would let him kind of just riff mm-hmm. were fun, and they did a very fun thing with the credits. Where they would show some of the takes they didn't use. Oh, okay, sure. And I thought that was pretty great. Yeah, you might as well. I remember Gary Marshall talking about him. Uh, it was a very funny... It's it's cool that we're doing this on Mother's Day, because I get to mention this cool thing that leads into this story. Uh, my grandmother passed away this uh, year. Oh. But uh, about ten years ago, my mom 
wrote Regis and Kathy Lee and about how she was one of those women that deserved something special. Sure, sure. So they fly them in to get my grandmother a makeover. Okay. And so she gets this big makeover. The other guest on the show was Gary Marshall. Mm Mm-hmm. And Gary Marshall, uh, like, met my mom, and my mom was like, oh, my son wants to be a comedian, so he signed a book for her and was very great. Nice, But um, she said, you know, one of his favorite comedians uh, you helped discover, uh, Robin Williams, Mm -hmm. and he was like, oh, he was great, but it was a nightmare. (laughs) Like, the the first time we had him on Mork and Mindy, no, on on Happy Days, uh, (laughs) he's... We didn't really know what to expect because his audition tape was fantastic, Uh but we knew he was going to be a handful with whatever he did. (laughs) He comes on like a whirling dervish. He's all over the set. He was like, if you remember the Tasmanian devil, he was like that. He's just (laughs) zipping all over the place, but it's all brilliant. He's doing this hilarious stuff that no one's ever seen. Yeah. You know, and like Ron Howard's going, everyone's trying so hard not to laugh. Mm -hmm. And he's doing this, all this great stuff. I look at our 80 year old union cameraman and I go, did you get all of that? And the camera guy goes, he never went here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he zipped all over the frame, like everywhere but where the camera was. He, he was like, so we had to do all of that again. Jesus. <laughs> you know? And he did. He was like, and he did. But he was like, but every time we shot, it was different stuff. Oh, I so he was like, the actor, the other actors couldn't get used to it. Yeah. Because, you know, in a sitcom, if you notice, people don't laugh. Yeah. Even at the funniest Seriously. stuff being said. But that's real hard to do when oh, you don't yeah. know what's next, yeah. you know? Oh, my God. That's funny. And, uh, but yeah, he was like, he was like, we had these old, like, you know, ancient cameramen. They're not moving it around. Right. They're, they're just happy that it's running, you know? <laughs> oh, that's fucking funny. But yeah, so, so wow. I thought that was a great story. That's you know? phenomenal. Do you, okay, so I always like to ask people if someone's never heard this and somehow has been under a rock and has never heard of Robin Williams, why is this a good album to listen to? Why would you recommend it? Wow. Um, <laughs> it's not for, for a number of reasons, it's surprisingly political like mm-hmm. he, oh, he, yeah. he delves quite a bit into comedy so that's, that's really if, good. if you're interested in what was going on at that time mm-hmm. uh, there there are a lot of jokes in there that are tailored to that yeah. to like what was happening at that point in history yeah it's, it's a good touchstone for that um, if if you don't know anything about Robin Williams at all, it's interesting to see someone that malleable on stage yeah. to each thing that they write, mm-hmm. where every story was its own production. You know, every Definitely. joke that he told, he would cast it and he would uh, play all these different parts, and they all had a full framework, beginning, middle, and end. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the bit about uh, the debate between Clint Eastwood and Jack Nicholson, you know, it's, uh, he really honed each character until it made sense. And then everything that his character said 
seemed very true to them, whether it was or not, yeah. you know, yeah. like it, it seemed to fit that person, sure. you know, and also it's, uh, as we mentioned at the beginning, it's an album and a visual HBO special. Yeah. It works either way. Yeah. It's, and it's one of the few out there that does that, That's that true. really works, I think just as well in audio as it does uh visually definitely and i don't think uh a lot of comics are able to pull that off yeah you know yeah but yeah that's awesome um well first of all thank you this has been a lot of oh thank you man um where can we find you online though where can people follow um my twitter is mike black attack i also have an instagram that's the same thing Mm -hmm. and my facebook is that as well so mike at mike black attack for pretty much everything that i'm involved in (laughs) perfect man thank you so much for doing this thanks for having me this has been a lot of fun everybody thank you for listening and as always have a good thing Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. Please visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, read our blogs, read our tweets, watch our videos, and read our books. Please subscribe on iTunes, and if you like us, give us a five-star rating and a nice review. You can find us on Facebook.com slash Comedy on Vinyl, Twitter at Comedy on Vinyl, and find everything else at ComedyOnVinyl.com. I'm Jason Klom. Each week, my best friend Dan Gomiller and I relive the comedy of our youths on Dan and Jay's Comedy Hour, the podcast. You'll hear comedy and improv gems going back as far as 1993, making it the most easily avoidable and embarrassing thing we could put ourselves through each week. But mostly, listen as two best friends catch up for an hour each week, one from Boise and one from Burbank, the cultural hubs of the world. So find Dan and Jay's Comedy Hour, the podcast, at iTunes, or at StolenDress.com's podcast section. For more, go to djchpodcast.stolendress.com. Don't do that. Just go to StolenDress.com. Stolen Dress.